Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about theatrical spiritual practice for atheists. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of this vast 10-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Farm Code Gary, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings, Placebo Mages. Today, fantasizing about and predicting the future of religion and magic. But first, thank you to our newest Patreon backers, Allie and Brianne. And thank you to our patrons at the producer level or above, Emily, Red Rum Soda Pop, Annie, Ash, Brianne, Dana, Dev, Fonka, Gune, Tony, Valerie, and Zoe. All right, so today I wanted to do a little bit of um, some kind of fantasizing or predicting. It's going to be somewhere in between fantasizing and predicting about the future of religion and magic and spiritual practice and all that collective um, mass, whatever you want to call that. I, I usually refer to that all that collectively as spirituality, but people use these kind of terms differently depending on who you talk to. So Anyway, I think that, you know, since I started this podcast, which was three years ago this month, you know, I've become more and more aware of other people who are talking along similar lines, whether that is the other people kind of in the specifically in the witchcraft adjacent space of, you know, spell casting and using those kinds of, of metaphors and that kind of language, but also more broadly you know, the world of religious naturalism or spiritual naturalism, whatever you want to call it, and um, people who are who are looking at religion through a more scientific lens. So like even just today, I I subscribed finally to Dan Harris's podcast. Dan Harris is the author of Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, which is a book that you may remember my recommending in the um, Resource Roundup episode. So he has a podcast called 10% Happier, which is about happiness, psychology, and, and specifically mindfulness and, and meditation, because um, that's kind of his his wheelhouse. But um, I, I happened to subscribe today, finally, after meaning to for a while, and I saw one of the most recent episodes was about how to you know gain the benefits of religion without being a believer. That that um, author, by the way, he wrote a book recently called How God Works, and he also started a public radio podcast called How God Works. His name is Daniel Destino, or Destino, maybe. Um, so I haven't checked out his book yet or his podcast, but it was really interesting that, you know, he's somebody who's a, a, a psychologist who has a lab where they are, you know, investigating a lot of different specific religious practices and trying to figure out, you know, does this have a scientific basis? Did this practice evolve to serve a specific purpose? And they're finding a lot of really interesting results. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm encountering more and more of these things that are in this broader space of, of spiritual naturalism. And some of that is um, kind of that bias of it's, you know, it seems to me like there's a lot of that more and more of that happening, but it's partly a bias that, um, because I'm I'm seeing more of it because people are sending it to me because of this podcast, but there but also a lot of the things I'm in, encountering are pretty recent. So you know that book How God Works just came out like um, a month or two ago, I think, and that podcast just started, and uh, the 
you know, useful delusions, which is very closely related to this stuff. Another book that came out this year. And, you know, the other content creators I know in this space, like Sedna Wu or the Skeptical Witch on YouTube, those started, you know, around the same time or, or later from when I started this podcast. So a lot of this stuff is actually new. And th- what I'm getting at here is I think that there's this is an increasingly growing movement of people who want to engage with spiritual practice, whether that takes more of a, a traditionally kind of religious form or whether that's more of a, um, you know, kind of an occult form um, or just kind of more secular mindfulness and things like that. More and more people are wanting to engage with that without being believers or or without buying into the whole package of, of dogma and stuff. So um, I, I do think this is a growing trend and it's interesting because the terminology hasn't landed anywhere yet. Daniel Destino, who was on that that 10% Happier episode, he was saying how, you know, mindfulness started out in Buddhism and has, over the past few decades, suddenly become extremely mainstream secular practice here in in the West. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that if you told somebody you were meditating, they might look at you like you were a weirdo, that you were um, buying into some, some kooky some kooky beliefs or something and now it's just totally normal to say oh I, I meditate oh good for you and you know it wasn't that long ago before that that it was weird to exercise i mean <laughs> just like things things are getting are becoming mainstream and so anyway he had he had on that podcast kind of posed the question what is the next mindfulness like what is the next thing that we're going to realize actually has totally legitimate like scientifically evidence-based usefulness that comes from religion and that has been dismissed because it's associated with religion or with occultism so you know magic might 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 um fill that role or more broadly speaking you might say ritual but we don't know what the terminology is going to be so like mindfulness there's a lot of mindfulness stuff that goes back a few decades where you it it's mindfulness resources that doesn't use the word mindfulness so like um, Eckhart Tolle, or Tolle, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Eckhart Tolle's um, The Power of Now, which was like a big bestseller that was featured on Oprah's book club and stuff, I think in the, uh, it was either in the 90s or the very early 2000s. But um, he doesn't use the word mindfulness at all in that book, as far as I can remember. And that it's very much about mindfulness. It's just that that terminology hadn't quite landed yet. If he had written that book a decade or two later, he probably would have used the word, word mindfulness because uh, that's what it is. <laughs> and that's that word is totally mainstream now, but it wasn't. So all that to say, I don't know that magic, you know, maybe we're maybe we'll call it placebo magic, maybe we'll call it ritual in a more generic sense. Maybe we'll call it something else, but um or, or maybe we'll just call it spiritual naturalism or, or religious naturalism. But I think that we're going to land there where we have one particular term that we're using for some of these practices or maybe a few different terms for specific pieces of it, the puzzle. But I think that this is going to be something that's, that's really mainstream in a way where you can, you can do these practices as part of a very kind of like lush, imaginatively rich kind of um, framework of, of imagery and meaning and stories and things like that. Like I tend to do, and a lot of our listeners tend to do where you, you're kind of building this whole, you know, um, your, you know, your your spiritual helpers and your your specific symbolism, and all that. But you, there would also be kind of a much more secular expression of it, kind of like how meditation 
um, can happen in either like a very artful context or it can just be kind of like just a, a brain hacking tool, you know? So I think that that is really close in the future, I think, where that's mainstream, using ritual, using um, imagination, using what, you know, a lot of practices that we would call magic, whether or not they, they look like magic and they're kind of filtered through that metaphor. I think that is going to be extremely mainstream, like pretty soon. I think within five years, we'll probably know what the term is going to be that we kind of land on. Within 10 years, I think it's going to be totally normal to say, oh yeah, I, I cast spells. Cool. Good for you. I've been meaning to get into that myself, you know, like just, <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty normal. I, I don't know if spells will be part of it, but beyond that though, I think that that's going to kind of open the door for more and more of this where people can just say, oh, I like, I think where we're going to end up is that when you say, oh, I am a Christian or I'm, I'm Jewish or I'm um, Muslim or, or whatever else, that that is not going to imply that you are a believer, which is kind of weird. I, I, um, you know, it just happens to be a particular quirk in the Western world or a quirk of the Western world that we think that religion means belief. That's not really a condition for being an adherent in very many religions. Most religions, it's more about, do you do the things you're supposed to do? Do you participate in the things you're supposed to participate in? Um, Christianity just happens to have this this unusual feature, which is that at least when you filter it through, you know, theologians over over time, they've kind of settled on this idea that being a Christian means that you believe. That's the definition of being a Christian. So, you know, because Christianity Christianity is such a dominant force in the Western world, it's kind of the the only, you know, dominant religion in the Western world, that's kind of filtered our, our understanding of what religion actually is. So that when you ask somebody, you know, in a, in a, at a party or something, hey, what's your religion? Then the way that they answer is going to be about what they believe, not what they practice. It's going to be, oh, I, I don't believe in God. That, and it's like, you know, in other parts of the world, that answer might not make sense. It's like, well, you, you know, you can be a Hindu and be an atheist or, uh, any other kind of, you know, have any other kind of belief system. It's about, you know, practices and adherence to, to a way of life. So I think that we're going to get there relatively, you know, in the, in the next few decades where that becomes increasingly um, normal to be someone who considers yourself part of a religion, but doesn't believe in the supernatural part of it. And so that's, that's going to be a separate question of what religion you are. And I, I think even Christianity could get there. I think it's gonna. It would, I think Christianity might be the last religion for that to be normalized in because of that particular quirk. But I think even there, in my in my you know armchair theory here, I don't think that Jesus, when he talked about faith, which is kind of where the that whole thing comes from, I don't think that he was really talking about like your worldview, your rhetoric. I think he was talking about acting as if and that's something that you can do regardless of what your worldview is and if you believe in the supernatural you can still act as if it's true you know you can still put 
your faith in it in that sense. And I think that's what he means in practice when Jesus talks about it. I don't think he's talking about, you know, reciting the Nicene Creed as a statement of your beliefs. And that's the definition of being a Christian. I think it's putting your faith in in those values. So I, I think even Christianity hopefully would get there where you could say, I'm a Christian, and that wouldn't necessarily mean that you believed in anything supernatural. It would just mean that, you know, you operate within that that cultural context of ritual, of meaning making, of art and culture and philosophy, that you're kind of situated within that world. And I um I I that may be a little too optimistic, but I, I just think that we're we seem to be pointed in that direction. And unless humanity has like a, a major regression, I think that's where we're gonna go. I don't think it's realistic to expect that religion would just die. Because, you know, here we are, the Placebo Magic Podcast, people who are are not believers, but who are like, well, I, st- I still want the benefits of religion, please, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I don't think that we could realistically expect religion to die when we know that there are specific benefits connected with it. We're going to have to have to bring those forward into the future. And I don't think it's desirable that religion would, would just die because, um, you know, it's culturally interesting and, and rich. It's like, I want to see these cultures persist into the future and the, you know, the, the whole diversity of human um, artistic expression. And, and I, some of those religions might need to transform a little bit in order to fit into a, the values of the future. But as far as preserving the art, the tradition, the, um, the music, the culture, like the rituals, all that, I think a lot of that can be conserved while while things evolve to to have more, you know, some ethical standards that are more in line with what we value now and and hopefully will value in the future. So I that's I, you know, I would like to see that kind of future for for religion where we don't necessarily lose any religions, we they just change a little bit and they become more about practice about cultural context about like what what sort of art and philosophy and music you are immersed in in your spiritual practice and along with that you know if if belief becomes just a separate axis then um what that also kind of opens up the door to is religious pluralism which is something that Basically, it's a term that that refers to when you practice more than one religion at once. So there's a book that I read in high school called The Life of Pi, which I haven't seen the movie of it. So I I don't know. I can't speak to the movie at all, but maybe it's similar. Um, The book had this whole kind of subplot about religious pluralism, which tied into the themes of the book, where the main character, Pi, when he's growing up, he, he attends a... I believe it's like a Christian church, um, a Muslim mosque, and a Hindu temple. He's a pretty devout in all three of these, and there's this scene where his his like um, spiritual leaders from each of these different institutions get together and have this big theological argument, and they're basically fighting over Pi, who is their mo- most devout uh, follower in each of these institutions. They, they kind of want him to just be in their church and not in the other ones. And so they have this big theological argument. And Pi doesn't really see why he would have to choose. Why, like, 
it's for him like the theological arguments are not really relevant and they don't they don't delve too much more into into it there as far as i can recall but um where the book ends up going is that this is a this is a spoiler if you're you know don't want to be spoiled on the book then maybe skip skip ahead a little bit but pi ends up getting into this really traumatic situation where um he has to do some very like scary and and difficult things to survive that that you know are traumatizing and the way that he deals with that is to kind of make it into a a fictional story that that makes meaning out of it and makes it seem like an adventure you know and it kind of externalizes his more um his more animalistic self that he had to rely on to survive and turns that into kind of a separate character in his story but it ends up kind of highlighting this whole theme of like the role that religion plays in our lives where it's not about what's factually true about the cosmos it's about like the kind of story that you want to live and those you know the facts of the cosmos and the story that you want to live can coexist in 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 your life and not like you you don't have to um pick one of those and exclude the other anyway the about about the pluralism if you are not relying on religion as like your your cosmological beliefs your kind of rhetoric and you're just using it more as a you know an artistic and, and philosophical context of of practices and ethical philosophy and art and music and culture and, and community and all that stuff and you're immersed in that way there's not any particular reason why you can't practice more than one religion even if they have like totally different creation myths and different pantheons of of gods and and different um afterlife metaphors and all that stuff uh, it's just like how, you know, you can be a Star Wars fan and a Star Trek fan and a Marvel fan, even though those have different creation myths and different cosmologies and things like that. You just kind of enter into a different frame of mind when you're participating in it. And, you know, in cultures like the in the United States, where we have this kind of melting pot where a lot of people, you know, you have different religions on different sides of the family or you have, you know, a religion from generations back that was kind of oppressed or suppressed and you want to kind of reconnect with that or whatever by practicing pluralism you can kind of be able to blend those and, and be able to experience more than one facet of your of your past or your ancestry or whatever you know the the, the forces that shaped you and i think that that there's no particular reason that has to trigger a lot of cognitive dissonance if we just accept that religion doesn't need to have anything to do with beliefs. It's it's something separate. Um, it's it's a practice, not a not a history textbook, you know, or a science textbook. So I think that you know when I'm fantasizing about what's our what's our Star Trek future out, you know, in the distant in the distant future, what's what's our vision for where humanity is going? That's that's what I'd like to see is is religion being even more thriving than ever before because we've alleviated that cognitive dissonance between religion and science and we just we just view it as you know um a, a framework and a toolkit for for human flourishing and i think there would also be kind of more cooperation between religious institutions you know more interfaith cooperation because if they are all kind of operating under that same goal of like we're here to help people navigate human life navigate um 
struggles and make meaning and and whatnot, then the fact that they all happen to have different histories and different frameworks of meaning making, different symbolism, different stories, different music, like that's not that big of a deal. Like that's not not a big, huge obstacle to overcome for cooperation. Like maybe they do have slightly different ethics and slightly different philosophies in that regard, but that doesn't mean they can't cooperate. Where, you know, with with um, the Christ- kind of Christianity that I grew up in, we didn't really do much in the way of interfaith stuff because we thought that other faiths, uh, you know, we thought that other religions were basically sending people to hell. So <laughs> if you take that kind of, that piece out of the puzzle, it's like, oh, all of a sudden we can work together on most, you know, most of our goals are all in, in and values are in common across different religions. So I think that that's where we're ultimately headed. And I think that climate change is going to play a role in that one way or another. So, you know, we're in this, in this state right now where climate change is in our, it's not just in our future, it's in the present, but we're still, we still don't know, you know, how much mitigation we're going to be able to pull off. We're still trying to get everybody kind of rallied. We, you know, we have two pieces of the puzzle. There's mitigation and adaptation. They're both really important. You know, we, at this point, we can't avoid adaptation because it's too late to mitigate all of the effects. We have to do some adaptation, but the more we are able to mitigate, then, you know, we're going to, we're going to slow it down and, and stave off the worst of it. So, um, anyway, the reason I bring that up is because climate change is a particularly unique issue where the big problem is that people, is people not believing scientists and and people having you know unscientific thinking actually covid is kind of another another issue that's similar although covid's a much more acute problem where climate change is this really long long-term concern but um both of those issues kind of put us in the state where it's like you th- there really is a severe cost to not believing science you know not not you know to to trusting your gut over over scientists and I think that that is going to create an existential crisis for for religion, especially if we don't do very much mitigation and we just end up being in the state in um, several decades where, you know, our cities, our coastal cities are disappearing underwater, you know, and we're and we're experiencing more and more droughts and, and hurricanes and all that. That's going to turn up the pressure on like how do you know on, on the existential questions like how do we go so wrong how do we get here and i think that that is going to kind of force that reconciliation between religious religion and science where you know science science can tell us you know what what's happening and what's likely to happen in the future with climate change it can't really um inform our values per se so you know our philosophy so we we do need some kind of framework of of values to tell us like what we should do, what we should care about, you know, whether we should care about human life and, and suffering, you know, that's something that that philosophy has to guide us through. Science can't really do that. And so I think that religion, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be a part of that, but that's kind of where a lot of the tradition of philosophy has resided, especially ethical philosophy. And not only that, but, um, when it comes to things like reducing consumption, 
that is an issue that we really need to um, do a lot of like this inner work as a, as individuals, but then also as a society, we need to do a lot of inner work. And that's, that's not just going to happen from reading facts about climate change. That's going to happen through philosophy and through um, spiritual practice, you know, through, through meditation, through contemplation and reflection and through, you know, ethics that happen in the context of community where we have to kind of decide like, you know, as a society and as individuals, which are, you know, two interrelated processes where we have to curb consumption and, and particularly emissions, but that, that, you know, traces back to consumption. So I think that if we're able to solve that problem, religion is going to be a part of it, or at least the things that we, that we, um, that tend to fall under the umbrella of religion, which is, you know, meditation and, and reflection and meaning making and philosophy and, and ethics and all that. So whether we are able to do that now, you know, in the very short term, in the next like five to 10 years and do more of the mitigating or whether we, you know, fail at that and we are forced to do more adapting down the road um, because we didn't, weren't able to be, a, you know, prevent as many problems. That's going to really push us into that where we, where we kind of have to reckon with this um, tension between, you know, religion and science or between human psychology and science. So I think that we're going to, we're going to get there because of that. And unless we, unless we, you know, we get into a really horrible dark age type of, you know, <laughs> regression into, into ignorance and superstition, um, which I guess could happen. I, I hope it doesn't, but so, yeah, I think, you know, as we move forward, you know, as placebo mages, I think that, you know, those of us who've been doing this for a while, we're going to find ourselves in, in, in more and more good company of other people who are engaging with religious and magical practices as non-believers or at least as, as agnostics where, you know, people who are treating it as a psychological tool, you know, I think we're going to, we're going to find more and more people around. And that gives us an opportunity to make more, you know, community connections. And because we're kind of the early adopters in a sense, you know, like if this is, if this kind of thing is the next mindfulness, then this gives us an opportunity to kind of like help to help to serve a, a, um, as facilitators of helping people to find resources, helping people to know that there are other people out there doing it. You know, like I, when I started practicing magic, I could not find anybody else at first who was doing this until I started the podcast. And then I started, people started to find the podcast and then they started to let me know, oh, you got to check out Atheopaganism. You got to check out Sedna Wu. You got to check out, you know, all these other things. I didn't find any of that until I had started this show. And I think that if we're, if we want to kind of coalesce this into like, oh, this is just, normalized which which is you know i think where it's going to be then um we can we can all help to facilitate that as we find more and more you know friends and family members who are thinking along those lines and i think that it's not just you know a nice thing to do for your friend it's also like thinking in the big picture i want to get to a point where we believe what scientists are telling us and we have the emotional and psychological tools to actually like do something about it 
where we're not just throwing up our hands and, th- and saying, well, I can't do anything about climate change. Like we're actually, we actually have the, the power to change our behavior and to change our culture, which is a power that requires a lot of like psychological technologies, you know, a lot, a lot of spiritual technologies. And so we can be kind of pioneers in that, 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 um, frontier of like unifying that, you know, where science and spiritual wellness come together. You can find the Placebo Magic podcast and my poetry and other writing on the web at farmcodegary.com. Send your feedback to farmcodegary at protonmail.com and let me know if I can read your feedback on the show. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical. Magical.